everyone, and welcome to God's Plan, Your Part, a podcast where our goal is to read the entire Bible in a year, seeking to understand God's plan of redemption while discovering daily and practically your part in it. Hey, today we're going to be looking at one of the more controversial books in all of the Old Testament. Uh, You may not know that there's a lot of controversy about this book because maybe you're just familiar with the story or uh, the the veggie tales or the flannel graph. Uh, Today we are talking about the book of Esther. And before we dig into the book of Esther, I want to just let you know about the controversy around it. The first main thing uh, that people have a problem with is that if you scour the entire book of Esther, uh, it's several chapters, it's about, let me see, it's 10 chapters long, uh, you will not find the name of God or even God referenced as a character. And so throughout history, many people have had a lot of problems with this book. In fact, uh, a lot of our Uh, scripts, manuscripts that we have, a lot of our historical evidence that we have of the Bible uh, trace back to the Dead Sea Scrolls that the Essenes kept uh, in a cave just outside of the area of the Dead Sea, and the book of Esther was not found as one of those documents. So even the Essenes, the people who were the keepers of the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, did not see Esther as an important biblical document. Some people believe that's because they were kind of um, really strict um, religious people, and they read over these books and realized that God was not mentioned, and so they didn't want to keep it uh, in their collection of scrolls. Um, there's just a lot of questions about it. And so Esther has been uh, one of those books that people have wanted to cut from the canon throughout history, cut from the historical books like the full Bible uh, throughout history, um, but many people have Um, made a case to keep the book uh, because it does clearly make a case for God's sovereignty, uh, God's care for his people. And so it's just, it's just an interesting thing to think about as we read over the book of Esther. Obviously the story is pretty compelling. It's a very interesting story that's easy to be drawn into, uh, but it has been controversial throughout history. Uh, The other interesting thing to know about the book of Esther is that many people believe that King Asherus is actually uh, King Xerxes, the king of the Medes and Persians. And this King Xerxes is the one who would have been the um, opposing king in the story of the 300, where the, the Greeks fought the Medes and Persians. And Xerxes, if you've seen the movie 300, Xerxes is kind of this like crazy, exaggerated, wicked god king. Uh, That is the same Xerxes here referenced as Asherus, uh, who Queen Esther is going to approach. So if you saw the movie 300, uh, and you, the, the movie itself is really exaggerated in a lot of ways, but if you saw the movie and you saw how they represented Xerxes as kind of this like incredibly frightening individual. Uh, you might get to understand some of Esther's hesitations, some of her fears of the king, uh, as well as some of Mordecai's um, like cunning and planning, uh, because this king um, is not somebody to mess around with. He's not he's not somebody that's like a pretty easygoing guy, and we see that at the very beginning. Like this this queen initially uh, with Asherus is Queen Vashti. Uh, We see her introduced in chapter one, but when she kind of says, no, I'm not really into being a spectacle in your drunken party, um, she's quickly cast out of being the queen. And there's this like beauty pageant kind of thing that ensues um, 
that allows Queen Esther to catch the eye of Asherus. Now, obviously, this is a sort of odd story. Um, it, it definitely um, objectifies women in a pretty significant way. Uh, this is not what God intends for people. This is not a this is not a book that you read and say, ah, oh, this is a great way to live life. Uh, but it is an example of how God uses really odd circumstances, uh, things that are not necessarily pleasing to the Lord, to bring about um, like a, a a story, a pattern, a way of life that is pleasing to the Lord. So here we have Esther, this Jew that is kind of thrown into this story, uh, being put in a place where she can have incredible influence um, during a, a dark period where there's some pretty significant decisions being made that are very threatening to God's people. Now, so just so you understand where this fits in the narrative, um, we have been kind of talking about the exile, how the, the people were judged by God, they were carried into exile uh, by Nebuchadnezzar uh, in different phases. Uh, then the, the Babylonian Empire is kind of thrown into confusion and taken over by this empire of Medes and Persians. And so during uh, Cyrus's reign, the people are allowed in kind of a smaller number to return home, uh, which is what we have been reading about in parts of Ezra, parts of Zechariah. Uh, the people are returning home, but there are still a remaining number of people and remaining number of Jews left throughout the Mede and Persian Empire. And so uh, Mordecai would be one of those people. Esther would be one of those people, and there, there's just kind of this story, this record of Jews being scattered all over the place at this time. So while this story is taking place, uh, there are people in Jerusalem who have returned from exile, rebuilding the temple, and trying to establish a life of pleasing the Lord. So just to kind of put this all in a nutshell, um, we are introduced to this dude, Haman. He's not a good guy. He decides that there should be an edict to not only destroy Mordecai, but destroy all the Jews. Um, Esther, while this is all being cooked up, is kind of a new queen. She is a, a queen that the king really appreciates. And she's put in this incredible situation where she could possibly stop this plot of destroying everyone. And her uncle, Mordecai, uh, at one point tells her that it could be for just a time as this that you have been brought to this place. And I think that might be the most compelling thing uh, that we read today. We read Esther 1 to 5. And it kind of has this idea of like, we don't necessarily know God's plan, uh, but when we are faithful to him, when we are obedient to him, when we are honoring to him, uh, we could be playing a much, much bigger part than what we're aware of. So Mordecai is allowing Esther to know this, and it is something that pushes Esther to take a step of faith, uh, put herself in harm's way. Like I said, if you saw the movie 300, this Xerxes dude is not messing around. And so she puts herself in a place where she can either be heard by the king or she can be put to death by the king. Uh, what's really interesting is right before she steps out, uh, she encourages uh, everybody in her court, as well as all the Jews in the land, to put on a time of prayer and fasting for three days. No food, no water, uh, nothing for three days. They want to really seek the Lord and honor the Lord. And I think it's cool how the book of Esther highlights 
uh, the importance of prayer and fasting. This is an extreme fast uh, where they don't do anything for three days. And as we continue through the narrative, we get the idea that God honors this fast. Uh, God honors Esther's obedience. And one of the things that is a precursor to this like courageous move of stepping out before the king is actually another courageous move of denying herself, denying her court, denying her people uh, food and drink for three days. I don't know if you've ever done a three-day fast. Uh, it is not an easy feat, particularly if you're not going to do any um, any drinking. Um, but it, it is like a, a helpful, meaningful thing to pause uh, to pray and fast. Um, in our in our modern age, there's this idea that fasting is just giving up anything. Uh, that's, that's really not true. Fasting has always been understood as giving up food and in extreme circumstances, giving up drink. Um, and here we see Esther doing exactly that. Um, the early church actually fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays every single week uh, to honor Jesus and what he had done. Um, and to make space for being sustained by God's word instead of bread. So that's like Jesus refers to uh, man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So uh, fasting is a huge part of the story here. Um, obviously, faithfulness to God is a huge part of the story, even though God's name is not invoked. Uh, and I'm excited to see what else is going to happen here in this narrative. So as far as the year part goes, I uh, just encourage you to really strengthen your relationship with the Lord uh, through prayer and fasting, and also to understand uh, that God has put you in the place that you are for such a time as this. You could have lived in any period or any time, and God has chosen to put you in this period and this time uh, because he has a purpose and a plan for you. And so I just encourage you to be faithful to the Lord. I encourage you to be obedient to him. And just walk boldly in whatever your circumstance is, right? We're all in different situations and circumstances. Uh, but whatever your situation is, have faith in God. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Be obedient to him because you are most likely here for such a time as this. So no matter how crazy it seems, uh, God has put you here on purpose because he plans to use your faithfulness to honor him and perhaps save some other people in the process. So be encouraged by that. Uh, we'll be back into Esther again tomorrow. We'll see you then. Thanks so much for listening to our take today. Before we get into the reading, if we could just ask you one thing, uh, if you've been enjoying the podcast, if you could subscribe to us and then leave a rating and review, we'd love to hear from you. And every rating we get helps us reach more people. Ultimately, we're just trying to reach people with the truth of God's word and your review will help us do that. So thanks so much for being invested in the podcast. Here's the reading for today. Esther chapter one. Now in the days of Asherus, the Asherus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces, in those days when King Asherus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him, while he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days. 180 days. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white cotton curtains and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars, and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. 
Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. And drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion. For the king had given orders to all his staff of, his, of the palace to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Asherus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mahumim, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abiktha, Zether, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Asherus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown, in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come to the king's command, delivered by the eunuchs. At this the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. Then the king sent to the wise men, who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in the law and judgment, the men next to him being Kashina, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Meres, Marasina, and Merkumum, the seven princes of Persia and Media who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom. According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti, because she has not performed the command of King Asherus delivered by the eunuchs? Then Memuken said in the presence of the king and the officials, Not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the peoples who are all in the provinces of King Asherus. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Asherus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day the noble women of Persia and Media who have heard the queen's behavior will say the same to the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. If it please the king, let a royal order go out from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be repealed, that Vashti is never again to come before King Asherus, and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout his kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. This advice pleased the king and the princes, and the king did as Memuken proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, to every people in its own language, that every man be master in his own household, and speak according to the language of his people. Chapter 2 After these things, when the anger of King Asherish had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done, and what he had decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king. And let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under the custody of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them, and let the young women who please the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives carried away from Jeconiah, the king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa the citadel in the custody of Hegai, Esther was also taken to the king's palace and put in the custody of Hegai, 
who had charge of the women. And the young women pleased him and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with cosmetics and her portion of food, and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace, and advanced her and her young women to the best palace in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Asherus, after being twelve months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women, when the young women went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening she would go in, and in the morning she would return to the second harem in the custody of Shegaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her, and she was summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had been taken as his own daughter to the king, she asked for nothing, except that Hegai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her, and when Esther was taken to King Asherus, into the royal palace, in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of the reign, the king loved Esther more than any of all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that she set the royal crown on her head, and he made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people, as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Asherus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Chapter 3 After these things, King Asherus promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. So the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them. They told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Asherus. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Asherus, they cast pur, that is, they cast lots, before Haman, day after day, and they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Asherus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, 
Let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay ten thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who have the charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the thirteenth day of the first month, and an edict, according to all that Haman commanded, was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces and to all the officials of the peoples, to every province in its own script, and every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Asherus, and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the document was issued at a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by the order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. Chapter 4 When Mordecai learned that all had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. And he went up into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in the, every province, every wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai, so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Halak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai, to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay in the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go into the king and beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, so that he may live. As for me, I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than any of the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had commanded him. Chapter 5 
On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter, and the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, if I had found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleased the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife Jerish. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, and all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above all the officials and servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared, and tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jews sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all her friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. Thanks so much for listening to God's Plan, Your Part. If anything stuck out to you, if you have any questions, or if you'd like to receive a Bible, you can email us at godsplanyourpart at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, please consider supporting us through the link in our description. We love that you're on this journey with us, and we hope you have a great day. See you tomorrow.